The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Well, we live in a world of um, a lot of people. I don't, I don't even know. Over 7 billion now, maybe, I think, the population of the earth. Um, man, billions and billions and billions of people have come, have come before us. Countless cultures exist today and have existed throughout history, right? Um, I've been blessed to be able to, to travel some. I've been to some different parts of the world, seeing how people live, how different they live than, than we live. Been to China, witnessed some of the culture there in China, the sights, the sounds, the smells of, of the food in China. Been to Africa, witnessed the culture there in Africa. Just such, such different culture. All these places around the world and seen such different culture. China, Africa, California. They're just so different than, than we are. But no matter where we live, no matter when we've lived, no matter our culture, our heritage, there's one thing in particular that unites us all. There's one thing that all who have, have lived have in common. There's one thing today that a small child in, in rural China has in common with a businessman on Wall Street. And that is a certain end. That death awaits us all. What a joyous message this morning. Romans chapter 5, Paul says, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death spread to all men. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 9, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Every man, every human, has an appointed time of death. What that means for you and what that means for me this morning is that it is not for this life only that we trust in God. That God's promises to us are not only for this life. And here's what we have to learn to be okay with. The reality that when we die, most of God's promises to us will be unfulfilled. When we take our last breath, most of the promises of God will have yet to be fulfilled. That's what we see this morning in Genesis chapter 23. A verse that's, or a chapter that's sort of strange, a chapter that's 
Really, majority of which a, a business transaction. But one, nonetheless, that I think teaches us an important lesson and causes us to ask an important question, and that is, how will we respond when death visits us? How will we respond when death visits us? While in this chapter, there really is not a single overt mention of God, and it seems sort of weird, to me at least, that that Moses included what he included here. I think it's important for us to see that even in chapter 23 and even in the face of death, that Abraham's faith remains the central thing. Three things we see from the text this morning. The first come in the first three verses, and that is a time to mourn. The second comes in verses 3 through 18, and that is a transaction to make. And then lastly, in 19 and 20, a tomb to memorialize. Genesis chapter 23, starting in verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me, Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave that is at Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in the gate of his city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that's in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give you the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, 
throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah among uh, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place among the Hittites. A time to mourn. Sarah dies. At 127 years old, she breathes her last and she dies. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now, Sarah's not perfect, is she? I mean, she's, she's, she's had some, some issues along the way. I can't imagine that it was easy being married to, to Abraham. It's probably not easy being married to any man, much less one that God chooses out of the middle of nowhere and says, take all your stuff and go. And um, though you don't know where you're going, I will show you. And so Sarah went. It's probably not easy being married to a man that says, hey, listen, you're beautiful. And I'm worried they're going to kill me, so you tell them you're my sister. It's probably not easy to be married to a man that just relent and gives in and lays with your maidservant. Sarah's not perfect, but Sarah is a godly woman with a great heritage, isn't she? The New Testament confirms that for us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Peter chooses Sarah out of all women, out of all wives, as a model for a godly wife. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you who are, ch- are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrew 11 offers up Sarah as a great example of faith. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah wasn't perfect, but Sarah was a, a faithful, faith-filled, godly wife, godly follower of God. But death comes for us all. No matter how good we are, no matter how godly we are, no matter how faithful We are, death comes for us all because sin brought death into the world. And all have sinned, therefore, all die. Even Sarah. And Abraham, who deeply loves his wife, grieves. He responds in grief, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Abraham grieves. Now, we already know that Abraham believes in a resurrection. 
We know that Abraham believes in a resurrection for a couple of reasons as we've studied through this chapters in Genesis. One, because Abraham understands that the promised land is an everlasting land. That it's an everlasting promise, meaning that death would not be the end, there would be a resurrection. And that informed him enough to believe that if God allowed him to sacrifice Isaac, that God would be powerful enough to raise Isaac from the dead. That's what we learned, right? So Abraham believes in a bodily resurrection. But a faith in the resurrection does not mean that we cannot grieve death. It is a natural thing to grieve the death of a loved one. No one, no one, believed in a resurrection more than Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because He is the resurrection and the life. Yet when Lazarus died, what did he do? He wept. He grieved. There is a time for mourning, the Scriptures say. And in the face of the death of a loved one, it is okay to grieve. The Scriptures tell us, they command us, not to grieve as the world grieves. Right? That's 1 Thessalonians. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. That does not mean that we are not to grieve. Right? It doesn't mean if you're a believer and you believe in the resurrection and you believe that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, then we have no reason to grieve. That's silliness. We absolutely have every reason to grieve when we lose a loved one. Even in faith. In the faith of a resurrection. In the faith of an eternity with Christ. Our call is not to grieve as the world grieves without hope. Our call is to grieve with hope. With hope. That's what Abraham does. He grieves. But he grieves as a man with hope. The language here is interesting, and there's some uh, ambiguity here as to exactly um, what it means. There's, there's really two options with where Abraham is and what Abraham does when Sarah dies. If you notice the language here, Abraham went to mourn for Sarah. So there are are some that would say that Abraham wasn't with Sarah when she died. That he had to travel there. He had to go to her. Which leads people to believe that this was not something that was expected. Right Now, for us, we'd say, well, she's 127 years old. It wasn't as, as common then to die at the age that we do today. Well, it seems like maybe Abraham was on a trip. Maybe he was away and got news of his wife's death and had to come to her. And he went to her. It could be that she died in a room and he was there and he went in to be at her side. We don't, we don't know. But her death certainly was a shock to him. And he comes to mourn. 
there certainly is a time to mourn. How will we respond when death visits our door? There's not much time because during this, there is a a transaction to make, isn't there? Sort of the difficulty with the death of a loved one is that you have to mourn while simultaneously doing the things that need to be done. And so there's a task here that needs to be handled. There needs to be a burial place for Sarah. And so Abraham goes to negotiate for a burial place for Sarah. And what he is looking to do is to purchase a present piece of the future inheritance. That's what he's doing. He's looking to purchase a present piece of what is his future inheritance. He is in the promised land. This cave and this field that belongs to Ephraim is a part of the land that God had promised already to Abraham and to his offspring. This is land that will be Abraham's. It will be Isaac's. It will be Jacob's. It will be his offspring. God has made the promise that part of his blessings to Abraham is an everlasting possession of land. But Abraham doesn't own it yet. Abraham does not possess any of it yet. Not a square inch of the land that God has promised him does Abraham possess. Does he live there? Sure. Does he have influence there? Absolutely. Does he experience the blessings of God there? For sure. Does he possess it? Not one square inch. That's why he rises before the people, before the Hittites, In verse 3, he rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner. I'm a foreigner among you. I'm a sojourner. I'm an alien. I don't belong here. This is not my land. I'm not among you. I'm outside of you. I don't own this land. You Hittites, you own this land. I'm just, I'm living in tents here. I'm a sojourner. I'm a foreigner among you. And so would you give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight? Now, Abraham has some options here. Abraham has family still alive in Ur. We know that because of the next chapter. He could have taken his wife back to their homeland and and buried her there in family land. There certainly would have been burial places, tombs there in Ur where his family would have buried people before him. Sarah's family would have buried people before her. He has some some options here. He could have returned. But Abraham has left that place. God has called him to go and he left trusting God in faith that God would give him a promised land. And so now this land that he is 
living in tents in, that he is sojourning in, that he is a foreigner in, this land by faith now is his home. And he knows by faith that this land will be the home of his offspring. And so he, by faith, wants his wife and himself buried in a land that he knows will be his. See, that's why Abraham wants to buy this piece of property because he knows in sure faith that one day it will be his. He knows it. Hebrews chapter 11 says that by faith he went to live in a land of promise as a foreigner, in, as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. God has made a promise to Abraham, yet that promise is not fulfilled. Not yet. Church, it is so vitally important that we understand this truth and we plant it deep in our hearts, we plant it deep in our minds that the vast majority of God's promises to you will be yet fulfilled when you die. The vast majority of the promises that God has made to us will be unfulfilled when we die. We have to understand that God's promises are not only for this life. Can I be real transparent with you? My stomach turns every time I hear one of these hip preachers use the catchphrase, the best is yet to come. My stomach just turns inside of me because I know what the vast majority of them mean by that. And that is tomorrow when you wake up, you'll, you'll wake up and it'll be better than today. Have faith in God, it'll be better than today. And the day after that, you'll wake up and it'll get better. It's just good. Church, believe in God and it'll, just, it'll get better for you in this life. Church, that is not the teaching of Holy Scripture. We do not live for this life. The promises of God are not only for this life. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. May we be a people who says, you know what? You're right. The best is yet to come after I die a sinner. The best is let to come because I step into the grace of God and begin to experience the promises that he has made to me that are an everlasting and eternal set of promises, not for this world. See, when we start believing that the promises of God are for this life and this life alone, when difficulty comes, when suffering comes, when death comes, our faith is shaken. Our faith is shaken. May we fight the good fight. May we finish the race. May we keep the faith. 
to know that God will eventually do for us what he has promised. Because his promises are not only for this life. Don't live for the now. Don't live for this life alone. Don't hope in God and his promises for this life alone. Hold loosely to the things here. Because they're transient. Why in the world would so much of our time, so much of our energy, so much of our focus, so much of our hope, so much of our faith be for this life, which is just a tiny little speck when you consider all of eternity? Now, this isn't to say that God is not going to bless us in the here and the now. He certainly does. He's blessed Abraham in miraculous ways. This is not to mean that we don't begin to experience some of the promises of God in this life. We certainly do. Abraham has. He has Isaac. He's been blessed. He's won wars. God certainly does bless us here. He does bless us now. He will bless us here. He will bless us now. But may we not forget that the main blessings of God are yet to come. They're yet to come. Abraham knows this. And so in that faith, Abraham looks to purchase a cave that is already his by promise, but it's not his yet. And that's how most of the tension in God's promises are, right? We have to be comfortable with that tension, the already and the not yet. The promises of God are already for us, but they are not yet experienced. The promises of God to Abraham are already there. The land has already been made his by the promises of God, yet he does not own a square inch of it. But there's nowhere else from which his wife or himself or his family will be resurrected except from the promised land. And so Abraham goes to the Hittites. They are the the present owners of the land. The Hittites come from Heth, the son of Canaan. And they are the future enemies of God's people. But at this point, they're not really the enemies of Abraham, are they? They're sort of cordial people. Eventually... As the people of God come to possess the promised land, God will drive the Hittites out of the land in Joshua's day, but not yet. And so Abraham comes in humility to purchase this cave that he's scouted out. I'm a sojourner, a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of your sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, verse 5, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. What a reputation Abraham has had here. The hand of God is upon him, it is evident. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. Man, you pick, Abraham, you can have whatever you want. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead there. You can have it, take it. They're willing to give Abraham any burial place as a gift. You take it. But Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave at Machpelah, which he owns 
It is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as a property for a burying place. Abraham wants no gift. He doesn't want it for free. He wants to buy it. Now I'll read this and I think, why? I mean, I'll take it. You know, who would turn down for a free piece of land? I'll take it for free. Abraham wants no mistaking that he's the one that owns it. Fair and square. It's his. And because it's his, it's Isaac's. Because it's Isaac's. It's Jacob's. This is his land. He wants no potential for a future king to change their mind and say, nah, we gave it to you, but we're taking it back. No, he wants a specific cave in a specific place. And he wants to pay full price for it. He doesn't want a deal. This, this cave, Machpelah, means to fold over double. That's the literal meaning there, meaning that it's probably a, at least a double cave, a cave complex that would have been large enough to bury multiple people there. He's got it picked out and he says, if you want to give me, if you're willing to give me anything I want, then would you entreat Ephron to sell me the cave that I want? Would he sell it to me? Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of, of the Hittites, of all who went in the gate of his city and said, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field. You can have the field. I give you the cave. You can have the cave. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. You can have it. Bury your dead. Now this, this seems kind of Ephron, doesn't it? And it is. It seems like he's giving Abraham what he wants, but he's not giving Abraham what he wants, is he? What does Abraham want? Abraham wants a price. You give me a price to pay, and I'll pay it. And so then Abraham humbled himself down before the people of the land. He bowed down before him, and he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. No, I'm not taking it for free. I'm buying it from you. I'm giving you the price of the field. You give me the price. Ephraim answered Abraham and said, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What's that between me and you? Bury your dead. Now, you've, you've, you've probably been, if you've been overseas in a bazaar or a marketplace, you've, you've probably experienced this before, right? In the bickering back and forth, you know, that's a hundred. But what's a hundred dollars between friends? You know, it's a hundred dollars, and you know what the expectation is. No, I'll give you fifty. Oh, I don't know if I can take fifty. Uh, I'll do, let's do eighty. No, no, I'll do sixty. Well, let's meet in the needle at seventy-five. You got a deal. You know, that's how it usually goes. Most commentators believe that I have no idea. I don't know how much a shekel of silver is worth. I have no idea how much land would be worth in their day, but most say that that was a too high of a price. That that's sort of the starting point of the negotiation. Ah, uh, four hundred check worth four hundred shekels. What's that between friends? You can have it. Who knows if it was a good price or not? I don't know. I'm sure it was high. It was his first offer. What does Abraham do? He says, "Deal." Abraham listened to Ephraim. And Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to weights current among the merchants. In other ways, you got it, and I'm going to use your scales to, sh- to do it. So that there's absolutely no question about it. 
this land is mine. That means Abraham was there, ready to buy, money in his pocket. He's not hurting for money. He's a rich man. So the field at Ephron, of Ephron and Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field that the cave, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. Abraham pays immediately. No bickering, no bartering, he pays. And then there is a, a deed made. And it's a specific deed, right? It's a specific deed for a specific transaction that includes the field, the cave, and the trees in the whole area. Like there's, there's specificity here of, okay, Abraham, this is yours, and it was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence with witnesses before everyone who is there. And now, for the first time, Abraham possesses a piece of the promised land. And I think that is the point of the text. That this is a foretaste of what would come. A purchase made in hope, even in the face of death. And it is death that brings about the promises of God. For the first time, he owns a piece of the promised land. Now there's a tomb to memorialize after this. Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place among the Hittites. Now, this cave is significant. This land is significant. This isn't the only time we see it. Sarah is not the only one that will be buried there. Abraham will be buried there. Isaac will be buried there. Rebecca will be buried there. Leah will be buried there. Even Jacob. In Egypt, at his death, makes one request. Genesis 49. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. I can you, can you get more specific than that? This, this burying place is a, it's a known marked heritage marking out the land as a piece of the promise of the hope that is to come, that God is faithful to all of His promises. You take me there and bury me. You know, you know who Joseph is in Egypt, right? 
I imagine he could have had a pyramid. But he doesn't want it. Don't bury me with the Pharaohs. Don't bury me here. Please, my final wish, take me to the land and bury me there with my people. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah, my wife, the field and the cave that is in it are bought from the Hittites. I mean, there's, there's so much emphasis on the fact that it was bought. It belongs to Abraham. And when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and he breathed his last and was gathered with his people. Kind of hope that's how I go, commanding my sons. His final request, don't leave me in Egypt. Take me to the promised land. This is a significant theme, this cave, this burial place, this piece of the promised land. Hebrews 11. Aren't you glad we're going through Hebrews now? I think we may have been through Hebrews before we ever get to Hebrews. Hebrews 11. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They died in faith, meaning they died having yet seen the promises of God materialized, right? That's faith. Faith is the sure confidence, the hope in things that are unseen, things that are yet seen. They died in faith, not having received the things promised, When we die, the vast majority of the promises of God are yet to be fulfilled. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. They died in faith, seeking a greater promised land that was not a cave in a field, Machbeth, east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, owned by the Hittites, owned by Ephraim, the son of Zohar, That's not the land for which they hoped for and died in faith. No, that land, that cave is a symbol of hope. That one day there would be a homeland there in that place. The city of God prepared for those who are raised from the dead. Eternity in a promised land. They all died in faith. The question is, how will death find us? Will it find us in faith? 
many of you, and I've, I've walked with you through the death of loved ones. I've walked through moments of, of deaths, of church members, of spouses and mothers and fathers. You've lost children. You've lost wives. You've lost moms. You've lost dads. In this life, there's just more loss ahead. Death comes from us for us all. It, it cannot be avoided. Our death one day will surely seek us out. And when it does, how will it find us? Will it find us in faith? It says... My sure confidence, my hope is in what has yet to be seen, what has yet to be experienced. The promises of God of a resurrection and an eternity with Him in a promised land. And death itself will not shake my faith. Our faith shines most brightly when we come face to face with death. How? Because in Christ Jesus, our greatest enemy has been reduced powerless. Death, where is your victory? Where is the sting of death? There is none. Not now, there is none. It's powerless. Death has been rendered powerless. It has no hold on us. Because in Christ there is life and life eternal. Because He defeated death, so will we. Because He defeated death, so will our wives. So will our husbands. So will our moms. So will our dads. So will our children. So will our grandchildren. In faith in Jesus, death is defeated. There is no sting in death. Now, should we mourn? Absolutely. Abraham mourned. But he mourned in faith. He mourned in faith. That's a cave of faith. How will we respond when death finds us? If we are in Christ Jesus, then we should not be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That we may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who are following, fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. One day, there's a cave in Canaan, east of Mamre, in a field named Machbeth that belonged to an 
Hittite named Zophar who left it to a son named Ephraim that was purchased by a man named Abraham and filled with his loved ones. One day, it's going to be empty. And all of those who were there died in the faith that they would receive the things promised of God. Father, would you help us live a life of faith even in the face of death? Would you help us fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith even in the face of death? Would you remind our hearts, which are so easily tethered to the things of this world, would you remind our hearts that your promises are not only for this life? Do you bless us here? Absolutely. Do we experience the promises of God now? Absolutely. But the greater promises are not yet. And so may we, like Abraham... In the face of death, trust you and your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.